0: Good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. The most haunted city in the country. Well, today is the June the 15th. 166th day of the year. 199 days remain until the year's over with. The... uh, This is uh, World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, Beer Day in Britain, Global Wind Day, that uh, celebrates everything coming out of Congress, Magna Carta Day, National Bug Busting Day. You know, we had one of those electronic uh, rackets, used to use on mosquitoes, and it was raining one day when I went and picked it up. Knock me across the room. National Career Nurse Assistance Day. National Marina Day. National Megalodon Day. National Prune Day. National Salvation Day. National Smile Power Day. Uh, National Photography Day. Sneak a Kiss Day. Real Tapas Day. NYMA Day. Day, and that's the commemorating the, the Young Measle Association in India's founding day. All right. Let's see. 763 BC. The Syrians recorded solar eclipse that's later used to fix the chronology of Mesopotamian history. 844 A.D. Louis II crowned King of Italy at Rome by Pope Sergius II. 923, the Battle of the Socians. King Robert I of France is killed, and King Charles the Simple is arrested by the supporters of Duke Rudolph of Burgundy. 1184, the naval battle of Femreite is won by the Bergbeiner pretender, Severus Sigerson, He takes the Norwegian throne, and King Magnus V of Norway is uh, killed. 1215, King John of England puts his seal to Magna Carta. It's that they were going to hang him. 1219, Northern Crusades. The Danish victory at the Battle of Lindanise establishes the Danish Duchy of Estonia. 1246, with the death of Frederick II, Duke of Austria, the Babenberg dynasty ends in Austria. 1300, the city of Bilbao is founded. 1312 at the Battle of Razgani, King Charles I of Hungary wins a decisive victory over the family of Palatine and Abba. 1389, Battle of Kosovo. Ottoman Empire defeats the Serbs and the Bosnians. 1410, decisive battle at the Onion River. The Mongol forces of Ohai Timur is decimated by the Chinese armies of the Yongle Emperor. Also in 1410, on this date, Ottoman in Terregnum, Suleiman Celebi defeats his brother Musa Celebi outside the Byzantine capital of Constantinople. Uh, 1502, Christopher Columbus lands on the island of Martinique on his fourth voyage. 1520, Pope Leo X threatens to excommunicate Martin Luther and Sergei Domine. 1607 colonists finished building James Fort uh, to defend against Spanish and Indian attacks. 1648, Margaret Jones is hung in Boston for witchcraft and the first such execution in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. 1667, the first human blood transfusion administered by Dr. Jean-Baptiste Denis. 1670, the first stone of Fort Ricasoli is laid down in Malta. 1752, Benjamin Franklin proves lightning as electricity. Now, this is the traditional date. The exact date is really not known. 1776, Delaware Separation Day. Delaware votes to suspend government under the British crown and separate officially from Pennsylvania. 1800, the Provisional Army of the U.S. is dissolved. 1804, New Hampshire approves the 12th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, ratifying the document. 1808, Joseph Bonaparte becomes King of Spain. 1836, Arkansas is admitted as the 25th U.S. state. 1844, Charles Goodyear gets a patent for vulcanization, a process to strengthen rubber. 1846, the Oregon Treaty extends the border between the U.S. and British North America, establishing uh, by the Treaty of 1818, westward to the Pacific Ocean. 1859, ambiguity in the Oregon Treaty leads to the Northwest boundary dispute between American British Canadian settlers 1864 American Civil War second Battle of Petersburg begins also on this date in 1864 um, Arlington National Cemetery is established when 200 acres of the Arlington estate formerly owned by Confederate General Robert E Lee officially set aside as a military cemetery by the US Secretary of War Edwin M Stanton 1877, Henry Ossian Flipper becomes the first African-American cadet to graduate from the U.S. Military Academy. 1878, Edward Muybridge takes a series of photographs to prove that all four feet of a horse leave the ground when it runs. This study becomes the basis of what we know as motion pictures. 1888, Crown Prince Wilhelm becomes Kaiser Wilhelm II. He'll be the last emperor of the German Empire. Due to the death of his predecessors, Wilhelm I and Frederick III, 1888 is called the Year of the Three Emperors. 1896, one of the deadliest tsunamis in Japan's history kills more than 22,000 people. 1904, a fire on board the steamboat, SS General Slocum in New York City's East River, kills 1,000 people. 1916, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson signs a bill incorporating the Boy Scouts of America making them the only American youth organization with a federal charter 1919 John Alcock and Arthur Brown complete the first non-stop transatlantic flight when they reach Clifton in County Galway in Ireland 1920 following the 1920s the public sites northern West League is transferred from Germany to Denmark 1921 Desi Coleman earns her pilot's license, becoming the first female pilot of African-American descent. 1934, the U.S. Great Smoky Mountain National Park is founded. 1936, the first flight of the Vickers-Wellington bomber takes place on this date. 1937, a German expedition led by Carl Wien loses 16 members in an avalanche on Nanga Parbat, the worst single disaster to Corona. Thousand meter peak. 1940, World War II, Operation aerial begins. Allied troops start to evacuate France following Germany's takeover of Paris and most of the nation. 1944, World War II, U.S. invades Saipan, capital of Japan's South Sea mandate. 1944, the Saskatchewan general election, the CCF led by Tommy Douglas is elected forms the first socialist government in North America. Yes, the Socialist Party made all kinds of wonderful promises. Get something for nothing. It didn't happen. 1970, Charles Manson goes on trial in the Sharon Tate murders. 1972, Red Army Faction co-founder Ricky Meinhof is captured by police in Langenhagen. Also in 1972, Cathay Pacific Flight 700Z is destroyed by a bomb over Pleiku Vietnam kills 81 people at that point in time uh, play coup was in South Vietnam 1977 after the death of dictator Francisco Franco in 1975 the first democratic elections took place in Spain 1978 King Hussein of Jordan marries American Lisa Halleby who takes the name Queen Noor 1985 Rembrandt's painting is attacked by a man who later is judged to be insane who throws sulfuric acid on the canvas and cuts it twice with a knife. 1991, in the Philippines, Mount Pinatubo erupts in the second largest volcanic eruption of the 20th century, killed over 800 people. The you U.S. Know, Supreme Court rules in the United States versus Alvarez Machin that it's permissible for the U.S. to forcibly extradite suspects in foreign countries and bring them to the U.S. Without, for trial without approval from those other countries. 1996, the Troubles. Provisional Irish Republican Army detonates a truck bomb in the middle of Manchester, England, devastates the city center, and injures 200 people. 2001, leaders of China, Russia, Kazakhstan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan formed the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. 2007, the Lokavivi Amusement Park is open in the story of Luwaka in Finland. 2012, Nick Walinda becomes the first person to successfully tightrope walk directly over Niagara Falls, and he wasn't in a barrel. 2013, a bomb explodes on a bus in the Pakistani city of Keita, killing at least 25 and wounding 22 others. And in 2022, Microsoft retires its ubiquitous Internet Explorer after 26 years in favor of its new browser, Microsoft Edge. I've used both. Can't say I'm a fan. All right. Now, I had planned on today doing a... um Where is it at? Where is it at? doing a story about um, murders, but I got an email from a listener who wanted me to talk about veterans' benefits. Okay, let's try it again. Now, there's a lot of benefits for veterans, especially those that have uh, honorable discharges. Now, you can still get them if you have a dishonorable discharge, if you get your discharge upgraded. And I've seen NCOs force people to go AWOL. Now, I'm not offering legal or financial or accounting or medical or professional advice. What I'm going to talk about is for educational entertainment purposes only. Now the first thing we need to talk about is if you're a veteran is um, and the veteran understand the Veterans Administration is there to help. That's why it was created. Unfortunately, many times it loses sight of that, but still. Um, I'm going to talk about how to secure disability compensation, health care, pensions, burial benefits, mental health attention, and a number of other uh, benefits. Now the, the VA exists both because of veterans and for the veteran. By law, the VA disability process is not supposed to be adversarial, but unfortunately, quite often it feels that way after you apply for benefits the, the compensation and pension examiner also known as the C&P examiner and the VA rater determine the validity of your claim. Doesn't mean the VA is trying to not help you but they want you to uh, confirm, if you will, that you met the requirements for the benefit. Now, if you've got an injury or disease that was incurred or aggravated during active duty service and it impacts your work or life, the There are VA uh, disability compensation benefits that can provide you with tax-free monetary relief. And you can also get uh, VA compensation for disabilities that arose before or even after service. You might have had a pre-existing condition that your active service actually made worse. Or a disability that began during your military service may not have been promptly documented in your service treatment records. I know I had a number of those. And uh, my time in service, especially if you were an officer, you did not go on set call. It just wasn't done. Officers were expected to set the example. And uh, even when I had a 500 pound troop ramp drop on me, the medic was with our unit. We were out in the field. And he said, I don't see any blood, I don't see any bone, you're fine here's a miracle drug it's called ibuprofen now the amount of VA disability compensation you'll receive will depend on the final combined VA disability rating now if you were separated or discharged under dishonorable conditions well your SOL you have to upgrade your discharge first which you can do quite frankly on the VA website now, there are 834 disability conditions that the VA recognizes. And your active duty service caused these disabilities or made them worse, is the second thing you have to address. And your disability conditions are limiting or affecting your work or life in a negative fashion. And if you meet those three requirements, then of course you're eligible for the benefits. Eligible doesn't automatically give them to them. You have to prove that those three things apply. And if you ask the VA to, to do it for you, well, you may as well not even start. They don't have the time. And when they deny disability compensation claims, it's almost always because there isn't enough proof, meaning you fail to prove your case on a at least as likely as not basis. So that means you've got to have at least uh, evidence that can establish the level of 50% that is likely as not your conditions caused by your service. And if there's a tie between positive and negative evidence, by law, the benefit of the doubt goes to the veteran. Of course, that doesn't always come to pass. Now the first thing you can do to improve the chances of a VA disability compensation claim being approved is to have your condition or conditions diagnosed and documented in either a military, a VA, or a private medical record. Watch what goes into your medical record. Um, I discovered when I started checking that over a 100 pages of medical reports was missing from my medical record. And when I asked to have copies placed in it, one of the doctors fought me like a tiger. And if you think you've got a disability, but you haven't had it diagnosed, well, you have to go to the doctor or other healthcare professional and get it diagnosed. If you've never seen a doctor for the condition you're trying to claim, you're wasting everybody's time. Now, In an ideal world, you wouldn't have to see a VA doctor, or even a private doctor, to get a diagnosis because you saw a military doctor while you were on active duty, so your condition was already diagnosed and documented while you were in service. And if your diagnosis came from a military doctor while you were in service, um, generally, you claim a... They almost certainly be approved, as long as you can show that the condition is negatively affecting your work or livelihood, and and that it's a chronic issue. Now, it's also helpful to get a current medical diagnosis of a disability condition, even if it's already in your service treatment records. Doing so provides evidence in establishing that you currently suffer from this disabling condition or disease that could be a result of the illness, injury, exposure, or aggravation that happened while on active duty. Unfortunately, a lot of veterans never went to the doctor while they were in the military. I mean, in my particular situation, I was discouraged from going. I mean, quite frankly, a, a junior officer on active duty, that was a stigma. And maybe you didn't realize how serious the condition was. In my particular case, it turned out I had a TBI undiagnosed. But it's never too late to get a medical opinion. And you shouldn't even waste everybody's time by applying for VA disability compensation before you get it documented by a medical professional. Now once you've got it documented that in fact you have that condition, the requirements for VA disability compensation is that your disability condition be service connected. VA calls that a nexus and you've probably heard VA people talk about nexus letters. And that's just a fancy word for a logical link or connection between service. And your issue um, as it was explained to me by uh, a radar, if event a happens and I've got condition B as a result then there's your nexus in other words your disability has to be the result of an injury or disease that was incurred or aggravated while on active duty or even active duty for training or that was caused or aggravated by another service-connected disability. That gets us into something called secondary claims that we'll talk about later. So in addition to having a medical diagnosis from the doctor, you have to have an argument that the disabilities related to service or another service-connected disability are not caused by something else. And the support for this is what's called a medical nexus letter. That's an evidence-based document prepared by a qualified medical professional, usually an MD, or, that helps establish a connection between the claimed in-service disease or injury and your current disability. And you have to ensure your medical opinion letter has got what's called a high probative value and for a credible medical nexus letter to have a probative value, it should be thorough, factual, and include a convincing evidence-based rationale based on research. It should also include all the records reviewed as well as relevant medical research reports. Might even look at Board of Veterans' Appeals decisions to help support the doctor's independent medical opinion. And the strongest nexus letters include a statement to the effect of as likely as not. Now, since the doctor wasn't there when the injury happened or the uh, disease happened, he can't say with 100% certainly, yes, it did. But he can say, at least as likely as not, your current condition is based on what happened then. Now there are five types of service connection and most folks don't understand this. It had to be explained to me and in fact pictures were drawn. Still have the the napkin it was drawn on. There's direct service connection and that's the most common method of service connection for VA disability compensation. You're telling the VA that your current disability condition is a direct result of your active duty military service. Maybe it was a training incident a car accident, combat deployment, stress from the job, or some other in-service in- incident, injury, event, or disease that uh, directly caused your current disability condition or made it worse. One example that I hear given quite often is combat PTSD due to constant rocket-mortar attacks in Afghanistan. The PTSD was caused by is caused by your combat deployment which is directly related to military service A, B, C, D. Then there's secondary service connection. Now the law in regard to secondary conditions is 38 CFR section 3.310 and in accordance with this um, law a current disability condition that is approximately due to or a result of a service-connected disease or injury is also service-connected. Let's say you, contact, you contracted tinnitus while serving, that's ringing in the ears. And even though you're no longer serving, that service-connected tinnitus is, could be causing or aggravating your migraine headaches, anxiety, depression, or some other condition. And service-connection on a secondary basis requires a showing of causation or aggravation. Instead of proving your disabilities directly related to service, you need to prove that it's caused or made worse by a different disability, which is in itself service-connected. I mean, you could file a VA disability claim for migraine headaches secondary to your service-connected tinnitus. Medical nexus letters are very helpful in proving secondary service connection under the law then there's presumptive service connection. In this particular case, Congress has set forth certain criteria and if your disability condition meets one of those criteria, then your disability connection will be presumed to have been caused by service. An example of that is um, certain chronic debilitating diseases, uh, for example, specific to radiation exposure or associated with herbicides such as Agent Orange. Blue Water Navy, Persian Gulf War, and Camp Lejeune veterans are included under this particular uh, provision. Camp Re- Lejeune le le, le had uh, issues with contaminated water. Blue Water Navy, um, a lot of the um, sailors are exposed to Agent Orange, knowingly or unknowingly. Um, 38 CFR Section 3.309 discusses diseases subject to presumptive service connection in a lot more detail than I can give you on this show. And although you're not required to provide a nexus to establish presumptive service connection, it's recommended you at least write a personal statement why you think your disability meets the legal requirements. In my particular case, when I was in South America, I was stationed in the Panama Canal Zone. And while it's not a... Area that is presumed under the law to be uh, subject to exposure to Agent Orange. Very few people know it was stored there before it was taken to uh, to Vietnam. And our unit um, cleaned out some of the bunkers, so we were exposed to it. Additionally, part of the um, herbicide agents were put into the mosquito spray that was sprayed in the quarters every night. And there were clouds of that stuff that rolled across the quarters area. In fact, the kids would go out and play in it, and it was so thick you couldn't see somebody five feet from you. Then we have service connection by aggravation. And that doesn't mean the platoon sergeant gave you a hard time, so you got aggravated. What it means is sometimes military service worsens the existing condition. For example, you might have had flat feet prior to going on active service, and wearing military boots and prolonged standing made the conditions worse, They to a painful disability called plantar fasciitis. Well, that's eligible for compensation under the law, provided, of course, you can prove the condition was worsened beyond its natural progression by military service, or that the service-connected disability is a secondary condition. Then there's. Service connection under 38 U.S.C. Section 1151. This refers to disabilities or death result from hospital care, medical or surgical treatment, or examination by a VA medical professional facility, or due to participation in a program of vocational rehabilitation. Now, in my particular case, uh, I was having trouble breathing due to exposure to toxic mold, and I went to the VA, and the doctor said, "Well," I can't say you've been exposed to mold. I'll have to write a letter if I do, and I'm a doctor, not a secretary. So you've got asthma. I said, I don't have asthma. He said, I'm the doctor. Yes, you do. So he sent me to a uh, pulmonologist, did a sleep study in the whole nine yards, and he said, look, you don't have asthma. You've been exposed to something toxic. I don't know what it is. Went back to the doctor who said, if he disagrees with me, he's incompetent. So I got no treatment. He he canceled my referral. I got no treatment for the condition. As a result, I have pulmonary disease with lung scarring. Um, And when I filed a, a claim based on 38 U.S.C. 1151, they did everything but have me shot to protect the doctor. He's such a wonderful guy. Now, to get VA disability compensation benefits, you have to prove not only you have a disability and it is connected to your military service, but also it negatively affects your work, life, and or social functioning. In other words, they're not going to provide you with a monthly compensation just because you were injured, but they will compensate you if that injury continues to negatively affect you. And you'll need to show that there are persistent, reoccurring symptoms that impact you. They're called the severity of symptoms. Maybe you had to take all your sick days at work because of your migraine headaches. Or maybe the PTSD is creating anger issues that will put your job in jeopardy. And the severity of your symptoms has a direct correlation to the rating you get. So it's up to you to argue their civility in a, severity in a compelling, um, effective way using VA form 21-4138, you'll have to write a strong personal statement for each disability uh, condition you're claiming. That um, VA form is known as a statement in support of a claim. And if you don't know what to call your claim, go to CFR Title 38 Part 4, Schedule for Rating Disabilities. And there you can get your disability's name and the symptoms you need to discuss, and you'll want to tell your CMP examiner about your current con- symptoms and how your disability negatively impacts your work, life, or social function. And don't be ashamed or afraid. Be descriptive and use specific examples. Now, as you might guess, some disabilities uh, automatically qualify for higher ratings than others. And when you've reached 100%, that's not the end of the road, folks. There's something known as VA Special Monthly Compensation. That's an additional tax-free benefit that's paid to veterans or spouses, surviving spouses and parents. Um, For the veteran, the SMC is a higher rate of compensation paid due to special circumstances, such as the need for aid and attendance by another person or some specific disability, such as the loss of use of a hand or a leg. And for spouses and surviving spouses, this benefit is usually referred to as aid and attendance. And that's paid based on the need for aid and attendance by another person. If you get to the point where you need to have assistance then uh, to get through the day, the VA takes that into account. Now, a permanent and total rating you got, there are different ratings. You might have a rating of 100% based on individual unemployability, which means for whatever reason you can't work, but it's not expected to be a permanent condition. Then there's 100% permanent and total, or it's never going to get any better. Now, to get a permanent and total rating, your disability has to have two qualities. One, the impairments reasonably certain to continue throughout the life of the disabled person, in other words it is permanent, and the impairment of the mind or body sufficient to render it impossible for the average person to substantially hold a gainful employment. In other words, it is a total disability. Now the VA can, technically speaking, remove a PNT rating for a variety of reasons, but it, it's not likely to happen unless you've taken an action that um, because the VA rated to review your file. If you rated it 100% or trying to upgrade to 100%, you can also apply for p status on the VA government uh, website. You'll want to open a new claim, of course, not a disability called Request for p Status. And, of course, it is recommended that you have your doctor write a... Um, letter explaining why your disabilities render you permanently and totally disabled and why your disability your rated disabilities are static they're not going to show any material improvement over time now a lot of folks don't understand how the VA system works and let's face it it is quite a um, Confusing system, and you combine disability rating is is incredibly important. To everything we're talking about could be the difference between receiving thousands of dollars and billions of dollars over a lifetime. Every service-connected disability will get a rating of either zero percent. That means it's it did happen, but it's not really affecting you. Zero, ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent, sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, or a hundred percent. And of course, as you might guess, the higher your rating, the um, more benefits you'll receive. Right now, a ten percent VA rating is about a hundred and sixty dollars a month. A hundred percent VA rating can be worth more than thirty five hundred dollars a month. And if you receive SMC benefits, it's even more than that. Your final rating depends on the severity of your disability, the impact it has on your work and life and social functioning. Some disabilities, by their very nature, impact you more than others. Now, a high-value VA disability claim refers to a specific disability condition that has a high likelihood of being rated at 30% or higher just by itself. Logically, then, a low-value VA disability claim refers to specific disability conditions that have a low likelihood of being rated at 30% or higher. These include most musculoskeletal conditions as well as conditions such as tinnitus and hearing loss and scars you received on active duty, among other things. Now among the conditions considered um, high value are mental health conditions. Right now, under the law, there are 31 rateable disability conditions: sleep apnea syndrome. a Number of things can cause sleep apnea. Migraines, which are headaches, of course. Plantar fasciitis, which is a, a disability of the foot. How about chronic fatigue syndrome? Irritable bowel syndrome. Um, GERD, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease. reticulopathy. Where the nerves in your arms or lower extremities are affected. Peripheral neuropathy. Gulf War syndrome presumptive conditions. Meniere's syndrome. If you have one disability and the rating for that disability and the rating for your total disability are going to be the same thing. But most of us have more than one service-connected disability. I think I've got 12. So how does the VA come up with a one combined VA rating? If you get several ratings for corresponding disabilities, they won't just add them together. Uh, if you're 70% for PTSD and 50% for sleep apnea, you won't be 120% disabled. Physically impossible to be more than 100% disabled, unless you're a congressman, in which case you can be whatever. Instead, the VA starts with your highest overall rating, multiplies the next highest rating into the previous one, and adds it on, and so on. Uh, for example, if, if uh, let's say you got 70% for PTSD, so according to that, you take 100%, subtract the 70%. 30% is, for lack of a better term, healthy. Then they multiply the 30% by the rating for the sleep apnea, which is 50%. So 50% or 30%, and you get 15%. You add that 15% to the original 70 and you come up with 85 which will be rounded up to 90 combined VA disability rating. And then they go with each disability um, from the highest to the lowest to come up with a, a total. And while that may sound confusing, that is the system. So you can see why if somebody has five or six disabilities um, that are considered low-value disabilities, the rating won't come close to 100 you have to throw in a couple of seventies and sixties um... if all your ratings are ten percent you'd have to have twenty-seven of them to get to a hundred percent combined VA rating Now, the three main paths to a hundred percent combined VA rating if the calculation puts you at or above ninety-five percent the VA is going to round you up to 100% anyway. If one of your conditions is rated 100% out of the, right out of the start, I mean, if your PTSD, for example, is 100%, um, you'd get 100% and the, none of the others would be really be considered. If your disability renders you unable to maintain substantial gainful employment, you might get the paying benefits of 100% VA rating, even if your combined VA rating is less than 100%. Let's say you uh, you suffer from cancer because of Agent Orange and you got a 70% uh, rating. But if the chemotherapy, which treats your cancer, makes substantial gainful employment impossible, you'll be deemed unemployable, which is also known as Total Disability Individual Unemployability, or TDIU. And... Uh, You'll get paid at a hundred percent, though you won't be eligible for every benefit. Um, Twenty some odd years ago, I was granted um, individual unemployability, and I had applied for a special adaptive housing grant. And I got a call from the um, region, and I was told that uh, while I was at a hundred percent, since it wasn't P and T or permanent and total. I wasn't entitled to the Special Adaptive Housing Grant. And I said, okay. And they said, but don't get upset. We're going to review your uh, disabilities and see if we can grant you permanent and total. And I said, well, how many lifetimes is that going to take? And they said, give us till Friday. So they converted it to permanent and total, and everything went um, from there. Now, there are two primary reasons why VA disability claims get denied. First, of course, is the veterans don't have enough medical evidence to show they've got a disability. Uh, maybe there's no diagnosis in the medical record. Or that they have symptoms severe enough to warn a VA disability rating under the law. don't have uh, symptoms severe enough to warn a disability rating under the law. And the second reason is that many veterans can't provide service connection or the, the nexus that I talked about. Usually these conditions, situations occur because when they're in the military, they never went to the doctor. And most junior officers did not. Um, I mean, when I received the, the, uh, the TBI, uh, I was given ibuprofen and sent back to duty. They might not have, you know, the veteran might not have even known the conditions were while on active duty. So now they have to prove they have service-connected disabilities after the fact. And that is very, very difficult to do. So let's say 10 years after you leave the service, you're diagnosed with a disability by your primary care physician. And you believe the condition was due to your military service, but you didn't get it diagnosed while in service. So, if you file a claim for it with the VA, you're going to be denied unless you provide additional evidence. But they don't tell you this. You know, a lot of veterans file disability claims without even providing a diagnosis. I mean, I know one individual filed a claim and all he said is, I got a disability. Of course, he got denied. He didn't tell them what the disability was, how no, he incurred it. What kind of effects it had, and he—he didn't show that the disability is at least as likely as not due to service or some other service-connected disability. And the longer you've been on the military, the harder it is to get that nexus. Well, fortunately, the at least as likely as not nexus is a very low burden of proof for to prove service connection. All things being equal, 50% positive and 50% negative, the benefit um, of doubt goes to the veteran. Well, it's very similar to the baseball analogy I heard given by a service officer. He said, uh, if the first baseman catches the ball the same moment the runner touches the base, the umpire safe. safe, meaning the tie goes to the runner. Well, the same is true with the VA uh, disability system. If the evidence is equal on both sides, for and against, the veteran wins. Now, when you file for disability, the first thing that happens is a compensation and pension exam, also known as the C&P exam. Um, regardless of how much information you provide, VA is still going to order a separate medical examination from a medical professional who's contracted to work for the VA. It might be a VA doctor. It might be, um, there's two or three uh, contracted um, organizations I've been referred to. You'll get a phone call and a packet in the mail with instructions and some exams um, actually happen over the phone or through video to teleconference. Others are required to be conducted in person might even be just a record review alone, which is known as a, an acceptable clinical evidence exam. Now, for most veterans, the C&P exam is a, a major hurdle. Somebody you don't know, who's never treated you, is going to conduct an exam. Whatever they write in the notes is likely to determine your VA benefits. And that is a scary situation, let me tell you. Now, the CMP exam is the number one most important step in the VA claim process. If you do everything right, but you miss your C and P exam or have a bad exam, the results can ruin your VA final rating. You know, the sad reality is the VA rater, who's known as the Rating Veteran Service representative, it's going to rely almost solely on the notes from the CMP examiner who never saw you before you walked in his door and is not going to see you again after you walk out. However, even if you have a terrible CMP exam, all is not lost. But a few things I recommend you do before you go to that CMP exam. Number one, read through your military VA and private medical records. There's really no substitute for knowing what's in your service treatment records, VA medical records, or any private medical records. And be prepared to discuss the medical diagnosis of your disability, the subjective symptoms of the disability, as well as the link between your current disability and your active duty military service. That's the all-important nexus, don't you know? Have a good idea when the symptoms of the disability began. Did they start on active duty or after you left the service? What are your current symptoms of the disability? How severe are they? Also, review if you can CFR Title 28 Part 4 Schedule for Rating Disabilities. That's the law that governs all VA disability claims. Now as I said earlier, the complete VA disability claims list contains 834 rateable disabilities under the law. And you ought to review the general schedule prior to you doing the exam to help you understand your disability and how your current symptoms and what keywords are tied to a specific rating under the law. And also review the condition um, specific disability rights questionnaire for your, it's known as a DBQ for your claim disability. That's what the CMP examiner is going to complete uh, at your exam and send in. Now, when they ask you, as quite often they will, to describe an average day, don't describe your best day. So you tell the CMP examiner how you are on your worst day. They don't care about the best day. I want to know about that disability the, the CMP exam is actually a snapshot in time of how you're doing on one particular day if you're having a good day at that moment but that's somewhat unusual for you make sure to explain to the examiner how you normally are on your worst days I mean if your back pain is so severe you often can't get out of the bed in the morning without help or you wear a back brace make sure you tell CMP C&P examiner in some detail as much as you can about your situation. Don't assume that information's in your file. Hey, he may never have read it. A lot of them wing it. But whatever you do, don't lie or stretch the truth when it comes to your VA disability claim. Number one, that's a violation of federal law. And at your uh, C&P exam, you should Think and look and act and speak as you normally do. Uh, If you don't require the daily use of braces or a walker, don't pull them out for your exam. Do what you normally do. If you usually shower and dress decently, do so on the day of your exam. But wear comfortable clothing unless you're coming from work, and wear what you normally wear to work. If you go to the gym and work out, uh, tell the examiner the truth. Don't say you can't lift more over 10 pounds if you're routinely lifting 100 or so in uh, the gym. I mean, if it appears to the examiner that you're faking it until you make it, so to speak, he can write you're malingering if you attempt to falsify or exaggerate your disability symptoms. Malingering is defined as the intentional production of false or grossly exaggerated physical and psychological symptoms motivated by external incentives such as uh, avoiding military duty, avoiding work, getting financial compensation, things like that. And under federal law, there are criminal penalties, including a fine or imprisonment up to five years for uh, providing incorrect information. Now, if it feels uncomfortable for you to, to say something to a CNP examiner you just met about your condition, then that's what you need to say. Nobody wants to talk about sexual dysfunction for an example, but that's exactly why you need to talk about it. If you're abusing alcohol as a coping mechanism because of your anxiety and insomnia, tell the examiner. Now VA claims for all mental health conditions come down to your current level of occupational and social impairment as well as the severity of your mental health symptoms and circumstances. So how exactly is your PTSD affecting your social life and your work, your life and social functioning? get claims for other conditions, non-mental health type conditions are all about three things, limitation of range of motion, pain level and loss of use. And if they put you through that in the exam, make the examiner stop as soon as you feel that pain or discomfort. If you can't bend over to touch your toes, then don't do it. If you can't move your knee up to your chest, don't the examiner move your knee for you. And be prepared to discuss how your disability is limiting and affecting your work and life and social functioning. And be honest. Be open. And be prepared to discuss the the many related incidents in detail with the examiner. Now, most veterans don't have specific incidents documented, so make sure to discuss the approximate month and year of when your disability symptoms began. And you might want to get what's known as a VA buddy letter. That's where a friend who's aware of your condition writes a letter supporting the fact that you're disabled. And be prepared to talk about your life in detail. I had one this morning. It was supposed to be uh, 30 minutes we went for two solid hours and went into a lot of detail. Detail I wouldn't normally tell anybody that I didn't know very well. You may talk about where you grew up and what your life was like before you joined the military, what you did on active duty and any specific job requirements. Were you in a combat zone or some other austere location? What happened when you left active service? Make sure you give that examiner a detailed picture of your life and how the military either caused or made your disability condition worse or how your service-connected disability caused or aggravated your currently-claimed disability. So that's what it's all about. How did your military service impact you today? And you've got to be able to prove what you say. If you make the CMP examiner feel something, they'll be able to relate to your story. Would you help them make a proper analysis regarding the severity of your condition? Keep in mind that CP examiner is not your friend. I don't care how friendly he or she comes across, they're not your friend. They're there to do a job they're being paid for, which is to conduct an adequate examination of your claimed disability and document the record for the VA. You're also there to do a job, though, so be open and honest and truthful and be polite and courteous, but stay away from small talk. And remember this, which is what most people don't think about. Your CMP exam begins when you pull into the parking lot. A lot of stories make the rounds about cameras and front desk personnel collecting information to the and giving it to the examiner from the parking lot. If you hop out of the car and Stroll into the office and then tell them how difficult it is for you to walk. That's going to come back and haunt you. And bring hard copy documents with you to the CMP exam. You're not expected to remember all the details, but if you've got those details on paper, bring that. I mean, I routinely bring things and offer it to the examiner. They don't always want to accept it. And they should already have reviewed all the submitted evidence before the exam. But sometimes, I mean, they're human, sometimes they're lazy, aren't prepared, haven't reviewed you via claims file. So you might bring hard copy evidence with you and offer it to the examiner. And after your exam is over, you can leave copies of your evidence with the examiner so they can review it at their leisure. Well, no, well, not no, come to the end of today's show, we'll be back tomorrow and finish up talking about VA disability. Now, this is a bit of a change from what I normally talk about, but I got several requests from people that uh, um, really wanted to know. So if you got a question, I'm more than happy to address it. Till tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great Evening.